Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you're listening from, and welcome to the Weekend Review it's from Celtic Down Under, uh, hosted this week by Sean and joined by Paul and Anthony, all in Western Australia. Uh, advance warning that if I start freaking out and running about away off camera, then it's because the cockroaches have come back for revenge on their fallen comrades that I just took down two minutes ago. These ones have wings and they're like this size. So um, I can go and get the carcass of the last one that's still under a bowl right now, if anyone doesn't believe me, but I think we'll leave that off. How, how's your uh, war with the Australian summer going, Paul? Uh, okay, okay for now. Uh, we've we've had a pretty tame one by by Aussie standards. We've barely got above forty degrees uh, very often, and it looks like we're settling into high twenties and very early thirties for the for the next few weeks. So suits me. Um, uh, what I'm hoping not for is a late uh, Indian summer heat wave uh, that hits in like two weekends' time when it's my wedding and uh, I'll be trussed up in a kilt and waistcoat and jacket so we could happily deal with the high 20s but if it gets up towards 35 40 it might be a bit of a hot day so yeah well fingers crossed it it stays where it is for now well the Ningar six season calendar would have us still in the hot season for february and march so uh it's possible it's absolutely possible i think it was pretty hot last last march so fingers crossed it doesn't get back up yeah. to that level i do remember that and anthony have you got any grass left in your garden or is it all dead uh pretty dead but um i was in melbourne last week for a wedding and it was surprisingly 30 degrees in melbourne which seems a lot hotter than a 30 degrees in perth it was very very muggy very humid yeah. we're cutting all sorts of shapes on the dance floor but um enough about that is uh yes but uh <laughs> and just to your point there paul i also sweated up when i got married in a kilt so uh i can definitely uh <laughs> i'm praying for you that you get a nice but uh temperate 25 degrees but you know, no, no, not Fingers much. Fingers crossed. The... Yeah. Could go either <laughs> so, way. There we go. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got lots to get through. So, um, as this is our first podcast since uh, last Wednesday, we nobody's actually talked about the league game against Hearts. So, we at Celtic Park last Wednesday or slash Thursday for everyone down here had a home game against Hearts of Midlovian and we went down 1 0. And ultimately, it was a, a terrible night for us when we, as we lost ground in the title race, thanks to our city neighbours winning 4-1. So that gap that Michael Beale was talking about, they closed it on Wednesday night, just slightly. Uh, but despite going 1-0 down to what is actually, do you know what, Paul was offside. I mean, the, the VAR graphic was... It was confusing to say the least, wasn't it? So I think... The, so let's start with the color coding of the VAR system in Scotland, which is dark blue and green. Uh, I've not really noticed this up until now, but apparently, because we've not really had the dark blue and a green team playing at the same time, but apparently it, the, the dark blue line is always the defensive line and the green line is always the attacking line. However, when you've got hearts playing in dark blue and black and we're playing in green as usual, uh, it gets a bit confusing when uh, the green line is... Uh, the furthest away from the goal and that looks like it's offside and the blue line is the the to match hearts when later on we find out that's not the case so thanks to Celtic TV actually for uh, a bit of insight it's rare that you get that but uh, in this occasion we did get that and um look it, it's it's really really marginal I've heard uh, there's been a lot uh, discussed on it over the course of the week I've had a few different opinions the one that we got at the time was uh obviously Probably Starfelt's big toe was was marginally playing him offside, uh, playing him onside versus Janelli's knee. Um, since then, I've heard commentary that says uh, if their lines are basically you know the same as back to the original of, of benefit of doubt to the striker. So um, I think you've got to go with the tech and assume that you know whoever's using the tech is competent, which might be a bit of a stretch occasionally in Scotland. But if we assume that, then then I think you, you you go, it was really marginal and and maybe that the Starfelt's toes playing him on. I think what you can say is we get sprung down the uh, down their left, our right. Um, Ralston's got out of position. Uh, I, look, as our fullbacks, fullbacks often are, um, Holiday's had no pressure on him. He's, he's delivered a cracking ball in and let's be honest, it's a pretty good finish. So, um yeah, let's take let's let's. There's plenty of other VAR controversy as usual, so let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt in this one and say it's a pretty blue and green decision, yeah. and they've made, and they've got they've used the tech and they've used it right. Um, 
but yeah, look, it was it was a, it's a bit of a shock for us to go down at home, uh, but I thought the reaction was very good. Yeah, and look, sorry, Paul, just trying to cut you off there because we've got another game to get through as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we had uh, other talking points from that night, so we did go one now down to what was a a blurry line, let's just call it that. Uh, but then we had. Uh, the linesman flags offside against Kyogo when he's about two or three yards onside. Uh, but thanks to the new uh, VAR rules, it's allowed to play on. And Maeda slides in, scores a goal, gets injured subsequently. And uh, that's that's him, him out for the weekend game. And then in the second half, we get a Jota turnover from a great tackle. And again, Kyogo gets played in uh, on the counter and we go 2-1 up. And then later on, Haxibanovic, beautiful goal. Overall, when you look at the stats, we had three shots in target and scored three goals. Uh, Kyogo gets man of the match, and overall, it was a really clinical night and, and not particularly reflective of the weekend. Did you agree that Kyogo was man of the match, Anthony, or did you, you know, just for the pure clinical nature of the night? Yeah, I mean, Ange made four changes, which I thought, well, one hand's a bit surprising, but then you kind of thought Hearts were going to make changes and they made changes as well. Probably a bit slowly to start with our two fullbacks not having played for a while. So Bernabe was out with a bit of paternity leave. He saw the birth of his daughter last weekend, the weekend before. Uh, and then Ralston's first came back from injury for quite some time. So I felt they took about 20 minutes to get going. But when they did, I thought we clicked in the gear. We got the equalizer, which was a really good goal. Ralston down the line uh, and Kyogo turning uh, assist for, for Maeda. I thought Maeda was playing really well. It's a shame he got, you know, mm-hmm. he carted off injured. Um, but then that brought Jota on, and you know we we uh, we sort of ground them ground them down and and ground them out the game. Um, Kilgrim man the match yeah, and assist and a goal three 0 win. Tuti's chance, you know I think I think that's fair, and he he did really well with that chance. Moy again, we bit of class sort of slip, slip slipped him in sort of things. So um, yeah, no, I don't make any sort of problems with that, and I think that's probably Andy Halliday's only contribution against Celtic in the last five years, I think, as far as I can remember, if it's not like putting a two-footed lunging tackle in against one of our players, so credit where it's due, I guess. It, yeah, he does, yeah, and and yeah, the hypocrisy was something that I'll just touch on in a second, but uh, obviously the league is the kind of the main event for us, and that was 26th win out of 28 league games, which is massive, incredible. Uh, and we've got 10 games left with Hibs at Celtic Park next. But what was interesting, I th- so thought when I looked at the stats, the figures, fixtures, was that we've only got one more midweek game this season, and that'll be in the 24th of May. So that was the, the essentially the, the penultimate midweek game for us between now and when the season ends at the end of May or start of June, if we make it to the cup final. But yeah, Robbie Nielsen came out after the game and he starts moaning about the fairly innocuous Burnaby challenge. Uh, it was arguably a yellow card. It was never, ever, ever a red card. Anyone that thinks that's a red card does not understand the rules of the game. And I'm pretty sure Robbie Nielsen has got uh, his comments pre-planned before the match about the decapitation and try to be sensationalist. And I think he's pre-planned it to try and manipulate the officials for the Saturday game. Uh, and Burnaby kind of had an overall good game. Paul, do we, what did you reckon? Nielsen, is he is it pure manipulation? Do you think he had a point? What was Burnaby's overall performance? Because he's been getting a bit from the Celtic fans, and I don't know if it's fair. Yeah, no. I, so let's I'll briefly touch on Nielsen. He look, they were trying to influence VAR all night. They had their little laptop, their little tablet on their their tripod, and they were encouraging players to get in amongst it. Um, there was nothing in it. It's, it's a yellow. Ref missed it. You can't give a yellow in VAR. So, you know, there's nothing more in it than that. So let's move on. If he's up to mind games, he's not really up to Fergie's class, is he? Um, so, and he can try all he wants on mind games, but when you get blown away the following game, then it's, you can, you know, any manipulations kind of pissing in the wind a little bit. Um, Berabe is an interesting one, and it's one I've been pretty vocal on on, on Twitter since that game. Um, I thought he played his best game for us. Um, yes, he wasn't perfect. Uh, to Anthony's point, obviously, he's back from a decently, um, decent bit of time out. Um, there was some speculation as to why he was out of the squad. Obviously, having um, a young baby is one of the reasons. Uh, the other reason is just, I think, that we're so strong on that bench is, you know, do you need you know, two fullbacks potentially in the squad. Um, probably not um, if it's, it's on the bench. So I thought he had a really good game. Um, yes, his distribution um, was a bit um, loose uh, 
particularly in the first half, comparative um, to, to the second, but he wasn't alone in that. We didn't, we, you know, we were a bit disjointed first half with new, with the changes, as Anthony said, four changes. Um, I thought he put himself about, he defended the best I've seen him defend, which is one of his major criticisms. I think everybody acknowledges he's great going forward. Um, he won headers for a guy as short as he is. He got back in timed blocks. He was, he put himself about, yes, he was sometimes cut out of position, but that's the nature of how we play our fullbacks, you know, even, JT gets cut out of position, um, as does Johnson and, and Juranovic before him. So um, I thought he had a really good game. Obviously, he got assist near the end. He could have had it. Should have had another assist when he pulled it across, and and there was you know we missed a few fluffed a chance at the back post. So yeah, I, I was um, I was pretty impressed with him. You know, obviously he's not going to be you know moving G, GT from the team anytime soon. But I thought it was a pretty competent um, fill in, and I think it it put it should have put some of the doubters um, uh, in their place. According to Twitter, it hasn't. I think people would argue white is black if that's the position they've already taken. I saw lots of comments saying he he'd had an absolute shocker, which I think you know even the even the even if we apply your levels of star felt to that, Sean, I think that's unfair. <laughs> um, he he, I thought he had a pretty sound game and uh, he grew into it and he particularly good for going forward as we know he can do. Yeah, cool. I'll just jump to some comments to get the <clears throat> the listeners involved. Uh, where I mentioned earlier, some time zones. We've had Paddy saying good afternoon from Ireland, best wishes. And Alexander in Edinburgh saying hello. And Monty, not sure where Monty's from, he's saying good afternoon as well. So I'm guessing he's in a similar time zone. Uh, Mahesh is jumping on your point about the Hawkeye, Paul. It's accurate to three millimetres. But uh, as he's also mentioned, the rendering of the lines uh, on the low resolution cameras and with pretty bad angles as well makes it look really difficult to to see as offside or onside it really reminds me of the one where Kyogo uh was where uh Crawford Allen came out after when when Robbie Nielsen was moaning another time about Kyogo being allegedly offside uh, so just don't, just while we're on the point about Robbie Nielsen, uh, there was for me three things during the game that I thought you could. I mean, we were so dominant from start to finish that you, you could argue that it really made no difference. But I thought there was three kind of points to highlight for the officials on Saturday. Um, one was the tackle from behind in the first five minutes on Alistair Johnson, which could have been a red, but was not even given a yellow. No VAR review. Uh, there was no VR review for the foul on Alistair Johnston. Uh, what I think, and hopefully you agree, Anthony, was a clear penalty. Uh, or the one that hit Joe Hart uh, on the head when they follow through from when he saved the shot from what was, as far as I can tell, Hart's only chance of the game and statistically was their only shot on target. Uh, also, there was an object thrown at Hart, but obviously nothing much the officials can do about that. So that one we're kind of looking at what the SFA are going to be doing. So uh, refereeing on Saturday, Anthony, what do you reckon? Um, well, I mean, just to go back to the, the game midweek, Robbie Nielsen spent more time talking to the fourth official than he did talking to his own players. Like Every time they cut to the sideline, he's chatting away at the fourth official. I mean, what could you possibly be talking to him about the whole entire game? I mean, I just sort of get it. Anyway, so that, that was the one observation that I made from the midweek game. <laughs> As for the weekends, um, I, I think the only controversial one there that I really sticks in my mind is the not controversial, but the one I think could should have been apparently was the the Halliday challenge on on AJ. He's delivered the cross and then he's just taken his legs away and he didn't touch the ball. He wasn't even near the ball. Scissor kicked him, took him down inside the box, as far as I can see, and no VAR review. Michael Stewart is going, oh no. Like he's played the ball, so therefore that's not had any impact on the play. And it's like, well, since when's that the definition of a foul? If you take someone out, you take someone out. It doesn't matter whether he's already played the ball or not. I mean, that was a ludicrous explanation. And usually I, I agree with Mikey Stewart, but he was way off the mark with that one. But not to even review it. The cameras didn't really they didn't really show you much of a replay of it either. I was just like, well, come on. Like that's a major, a major incident in the game. So I don't know. It just kind of felt like it was swept under the rug a bit. The Joe Hart one, they, I think Hill's got every right to go for the ball. The ball was loose. It was there to be one. Free kick, maybe, but I, I don't... I, 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 Joe Hart was... You know, Joe, keepers tend to be a wee bit sort of protective of themselves when they go in those sorts of situations. It was a great double save. He did remarkably well to parry it, but then to have the awareness to, to tuck it away for a corner. 
Um, but I think, you know, I think in fairness, the Hearts players have every right to go for the, go for that ball when it's bouncing around in the box. Um, so yeah, that's my my take on those two. I don't recall the first one, so I can't comment on that one. But I definitely feel that Halliday got away with one for that um, that tackle. Yeah, and yeah, as you say, it's not really about the ball; it's about the tackle, isn't it? And Michael Stewart does tend to call it fair, apart from when it's uh, Hearts involved. Um, <clears throat> there was a, tra- a stat from the game that Hearts had nine fouls, three yellow cards. Celtic had five fouls and one yellow card. This is a unusual trend because usually Celtic are the hard pressing team and other teams are just kind of sat back so the last couple of Hearts games St Mirren game it's been actually the opposition have had more fouls in Celtic and it's a bit of a this is like teams have realized that if they just sit back they're going to get opened up at some point anyway so they're actually having a go now which is good it's entertaining uh, but that is a bit of a turnaround because normally you don't see that sort of thing but uh, to focus on positives uh, from here on, I think, uh, Celtic absolutely started on fire. Uh, we score within two minutes, like within 100 seconds, something like that. And the commentator says that goal was coming, which is when you're 100 seconds into the game, is you know that says something. Uh, we were 64% possession overall. That was actually less than we had midweek when we had 71%. But it was pretty much the exact same as we had when we won 4-3 at Tynecastle before. Uh, and the last comparison is when we last lost the game at Tynecastle, like a year and a half ago, whenever it was, we actually had 73% that day. Uh, but overall, uh, we weren't as prolific. Uh, Xander Clark actually kept the score down. Uh, we had nine shots on target from 20 total shots, and we only got three goals, whereas midweek we were three for three. Hearts, currently stats, had 11 shots, but only one on target. So really, we were pretty dominant. Um, Paul, did, was it the start that really killed hearts that you know really broke them or was it just just has been consistent throughout were the players more up for the cup or was it you know just sometimes a, a game plan clicks oh look i think we always try and go for a real far, a fast start but it, it, we we were absolutely on fire early on and and they had no answer um he, the, you know i think um commentator was spot on uh hatati had a a good strike that was just you know a good save we had pressure in the box even before that. So I think it was like our third visit to the box by the time we scored. And it was, like you say, 90, 100 seconds. So, you know, that's a pretty fast start by anyone's standards. Jota just looked in the mood from the very first second and, and didn't really let up on them. Um, and yeah, once we get our noses in front, it, it, we put them in a pretty difficult position. Um You know, they did, they did same as, same as Wednesday, they did try and press, but I think they, I think they got their team selection wrong, to be honest. Um, the fact that Cami Devlin was left out when he's like their principal pest and and general antagonist, um, and his you know his pretty much his sole job is to break up play, um, and when you're playing a side like us when we're on fire, you need somebody to go and put themselves about and, and try and break up that play. We had so much space down both wings, but if you if you've got space down the wings, you expect the midfield to be clogged. It wasn't. You could have dri- driven a bus through the middle of that midfield at times. Um, I don't know what their midfield was doing, but it was posted missing for a good chunk of that first 15, 20 minutes. Um, and obviously in the second half, it just sort of faded away again. But look, they, they did rally, which, you know, we, if we'd got that second goal in that first 15, 20 minutes, then I think, you know, the game would have been over much more quickly. But they did rally and they put us under some pressure. Um, and yeah, we, we weathered that. And, and I guess the peak of that was was the, the, the heart double save, which, you know, absolutely brilliant. Um so, so yeah, once we weathered that storm, then, yeah, we took back control of the game and and, and it, it was about as comfortable as you could have expected it to be at Tynecastle, to be honest. we were I think we were all expecting a bigger challenge than than Wednesday night. And, and actually, as it went, it was a lot easier. Yeah, my, my bet on my coupon had, was relying on hearts to score a goal, which they tend to do against us, but they didn't this time. So you are right in terms of scoreline, in terms of pretty much everything. And Robbie Nielsen... His, his excuses after the match were not related to officials this time. Uh, one, it was related to players not being available, players playing out of position, and uh, bad timing was what he said for the Celtic second goal. And yeah, I don't know how that's an excuse. I don't know how it excuses them, but uh, that's what he was coming up with anyway. He was saying he had Barry Mackay playing out of position, trying to do a job that he's not familiar with. Well, that was your call, man. You did it. Yeah, he could, he uh, could have picked Forrest again like he did on Wednesday. I thought, man, I thought he put himself about, you know, pretty yeah. well and 
you try to link the play. So I don't really see that, you know, <laughs> Nielsen's got like a huge excuse book, book of excuses that, that it's anything, it's anyone's fault except for him, to be honest. So, yeah. Uh, I'm going to actually open this one up to Anthony. Have your pick of players. Who would you like to get on your soapbox and praise or not at the moment? <laughs> well, just a couple of quick points. Um, I think we did the hard work on Wednesday night. So I actually think we drove them out of the ground on Wednesday night. And that's why we got mm-hmm. a fast start against them on the Saturday. So I don't think they could bounce back three days later and put up another performance. Celtic Park, they tried to waste time. They fell over. They just tried to drag the game out as much as possible. Um, so they were blown out their, their backsides then. Fast forward three days. We start how we do. Three chances in the space of... 100 seconds, get our goal, and then we get the killer right before halftime, literally, the, and that was some bit of play. Um, the, the cross was just um, was perfectly weighted from AJ and Kyogo with, I think we've got written down here, a Dembele-esque finish, uh, which I would agree with. And uh, yeah, just took three Hearts defenders out the game. We won, finish, and just, they all just stand looking at each other, just going, oh no, here we go. And I suppose from Robbie Nielsen's point of view, he's probably got a team talk in his head, oh, we're only 1-0 down, lads, we're still in this. And all of a sudden, he's 2-0 down, and his game plan's pretty much shot to pieces. Um, and they didn't really, I don't feel they laid a glove on us in the second half at all. And I'll tell you what, if I was a heart support, I'd be raging, because you're a cup, fight, a cup game, there's nothing to lose. And they just sat in and just hoped for the best, basically. And it was just, you know, Janelli's up front by himself. You're thinking, put an extra forward on, push forward, try something different. But they just sat in and they deserved everything they got. And if we had to run away 4 or 5 no, I'd just been like, well, that's what you what you deserved. I thought AJ had a really good game. I thought he's, you know, he's, he's, he's moving, he's crossing, he's overlapping. He's adding that to his game every week. He's absolutely rock solid and he's, you know, very, very strong defensively. So I think we've really replaced Juranovic there. I'd say Haskibanovic was probably a bit of a disappointment. Um, obviously getting his first start in a, a long time. And I guess he's a victim of Jota starting the game really, really well because that first half an hour, the ball went down that right flank pretty much all the time. Like Apart from the actual initial start for that first 60 seconds, 90 seconds, the rest of the play for the first half an hour all went down the right-hand side. And you could say the same for Abada on Wednesday night. Maeda started like a house on fire down the left and Abada was really not really in it. So... There is that cautionary tale of like, you know, you come off the bench and you look an absolute world beater, but when you actually, they're getting handed the start, they're maybe not quite grasping it. And is that because they're playing against um, fresh legs at the start of a game or a bit of nerves? I don't know, but I just kind of feel they both maybe missed the mark just a touch if I'm being super critical. Um, but, you know, Maeda definitely first half an hour on Wednesday night and Jota um, played really, really well on, on, um, on Saturday. Uh, when when I think about Haxibanovic and some of the best games he's played, oh, and I'm thinking back now, uh, there was one against, maybe even two against Dundee United, and in those games he was playing on the right, so I don't know if being on the left is kind of doing a disservice to the way he his style of play. But that said... He did, he, um, he did cut, he cut in for that goal, though, and that he cut in his right, right peg for that, and that was that's sublime. True. And let, let's not gloss over that. That was actually a, that's a really good goal. And that's like a nice sealer, 3-1. Like That's put icing on the cake and just kills mm-hmm. kills the tie, like the, mid, the midweek game. So, you know, he definitely deserved the start. I'm not, I'm not disputing that. And same with the Bada. He, he was phenomenal when he came off um, the bench against St. Murn the week before. Um, so they both deserve their, their starts, but I just don't feel they kind of grabbed it with both hands sort of thing. They sort of, um, yeah. But. Not yeah. dissimilar to not dissimilar to uh, Dave Turnbull when he got his start a few weeks back. That you know he didn't he didn't really live up to the billet either. Um, mm-hmm. And there's there's probably two things there. There's you know a bit of an unfortunateness that that all the play came down one the opposite side from where those guys were, um, and a bit of you know there may be. Um, more devastating when a team is tiring and we're still fresh. Yeah, it's curious how well these players are doing coming off the bench and then when they get rewarded with the start, they're not grasping that opportunity. I think maybe the only one that would be the exception to that kind of general statement recently would be Matt O'Reilly, who has looked good coming off the bench and when he's started, uh, he's looked pretty solid in all games recently. But the reason Matt O'Reilly's not on the team is just because Adam Moy has just been sensational. Uh, and that, that's him scored, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, but I looked it up and I think it's right, it's seven goals since the World Cup he scored, having scored none before that. 
so he had a couple. I think that's right. Maybe something can verify while I'm waxing lyrical about him. But yeah, he scores that opening goal with his left foot. Uh, and <laughs> the funniest thing for me was when he's watched, he's doing his celebration. And then at one point, and amongst the crowd, he looks straight down the camera. And then you see his face just drop. And I'm like, that is the look of a dread in a man who does not want to do a post-match interview. Like, you can just see it in his face when he makes eye contact with the camera. But I thought he was really good throughout. Um, Alan, uh, Callum, I said Alan. Callum McGregor said post-match that he singled out Moy and Hitati for praise uh, specifically, saying that those two are getting in all the right positions, getting close to each other, always offering. Um, it's, yeah, what, what, Paul, what do you make of Adam Moy's contribution on Saturday in, in the context of his seven goals and strong performance in the second half of the season? Yeah, look, I, th- I, th- I think we've he's just got stronger and stronger since the World Cup, right? So he he, he went to the World Cup, he, he contributed well to an Australian team, obviously punching above their weight, and he's come back just a, a bit like Mera, actually, and they, they've both just been been flying since they, they got those positive experiences uh, in Qatar. Um, I love watching him play. He, he, you just, he just seems like he's got so much time because he isn't, we know he's not the quickest with his feet, but he's miles ahead of most players up top. And that extra awareness just means he buys himself time. He always looks like he's got space. He creates space. He shifts the ball between his feet really well. And he does, he does the simple things really really well he picks players out he already on the move and he just links the play really well his weight of pass is phenomenal um he's he and even though he doesn't move that quickly he is in perpetual motion so he's very hard to pick up he drops between the lines and uh yeah i just think he's gone from strength to strength and look we are lucky all you know down here in australia we've probably long known the benefits of aramoy and we were all probably pretty confident that he would be a decent signing but i think I don't know. I, I would say he surpassed even my expectations. I, I saw him as a, a sort of, um, you know, somebody would be rotated and help out, help the squad during the busy periods, but I didn't really expect him to kick on and be an absolute, basically an undroppable part of the midfield um, with the strength that was particularly already in there. So yeah, he's he's been a phenomenal signing and um, yeah. And and the stuff that he's come out and said over over the last few days um, about what it's like to play in that team, it just again illustrates how strong a group we've got in terms of the the team ethic. Yeah, when he first, when he was first playing in that number six role, when he was trying to get up to speed, and and the boys in Axon were asking me like, oh yeah, is this what Adam Moyes always like for Australia? Like, what? And I'm like, no. To be honest, like I don't know if this is just because of age. Like he was previously like a, a number eight that would break into the box and on the kind of right attacking mid area and and now he's doing that so he was not doing that before the world cup and and now he is he's now becoming the player that he was before and did it for celtic anthony are you on the moy bus is he too late oh, to get player of the year? oh maybe, probably but I d- he, he, he ch- he's he's popping up with goals which is brilliant so if you if your midfielders central midfielders are popping up with goals that's always a, a bonus but he's popping up with an assist Every every game as well, so he he teed up um, Kogo dur- during the week, and then he got an assist of an assist, obviously against the Hearts on the weekends. He sort of played it to AJ out to AJ, look, never look away pass, and that's what started the move for the the back heel for the second goal. So he's um, he's added goals to his game, and he's keeping Matt O'Reilly out of the team. And if you said that six months ago, twelve months ago, you'd have laughed and said, "No way, let's Matt O'Reilly's a really good player," but He's keeping them out of the team, you know. And midweek they obviously played two of them and rested Hatati, which was fine. That worked. That worked okay at Celtic Park. Um, but you know, he's just, you know, he's obviously enjoying his football. And I, I find in anything in life, when you're enjoying it, you tend to put your best performances out in the park. So I think he's got a year's extension on his contract that Celtic can activate. So. I expect we'll be activating that because you definitely want him around your squad for next year because, you know, if he's contributing the way he's contributing, you you keep playing him. As simple as that. I'm sure he's signed on a two-year, so I'm pretty sure he's here next year anyway. Um, Mahesh is saying, Moy looking faster and more mobile due to Celtic's training regime? Probably. And I think he's more motivated for some whatever reason either. There's been some post-match comments as well. Uh, I just want to grab another... Uh, oh, hold on, before I move on. Go on yourself. Moy is daddy cool. He will be here a way bit longer. He is 31 now, uh, but we have had players like Lobo, 
that to play that kind of style into their mid thirties. So it's definitely not done yet. Let's be honest. His finish uh, was absolutely class as well. I think like we kind of glossed over that, like the the, the technique to hit that at the pace it's fizzed in and control it and steer it in. It, it's it's a it's a really class finish. Really class finish. Yeah, agreed. Left foot. Uh, I'm just going to grab a comment that Mahesh has made here uh, as a link to a different topic, okay? So uh, he's got to laugh. Ange said post-match after the league game midweek that they didn't find Kyogo enough and what happens, every man and a dog trying to hit Kyogo with poor long balls in the first half. Uh, I did kind of notice that, but then I also noticed it was kind of working in the second half, did the same thing, so uh, not sure what to make of that. But the kind of headline there is that Kyogo is now on 26 goals for the season after scoring one midweek and one on Saturday. And I'm going to say with the striker bias, he's probably well up there, if not in the lead for a player of the year candidate. But I want to talk about another person who I want to put forward as a player of the year candidate, and that is the 20th player to score for Celtic this season. Uh, Who was it scored last week to be the 19th player? I can't remember now. Uh, Johnson, Alistair Johnson. So we've now got uh, the 20th player to score, and that was Cameron Carter-Vickers, who scored the, the final goal of the game. And Ange Postacoglu had his post-match. I don't know who, which which media outlet it was with, but the interviewer suggested that uh, Carter Vickers goes under the radar and uh, Postacol basically laughed at him and said, no, he's the best defender in Scotland and if you want to say otherwise, then uh, I've got a case to make uh, against you. Uh, so Carter Vickers' uh, contribution on Saturday, Paul, and do you think he is the best player in Scotland or do you just agree with Postacol that he's simply the best defender in Scotland? Well, it- He's making a case for for best player, isn't he? Um, look, he, he's absolute class. Like we 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 touch on this so often, but I think what it's a badly worded question by the interviewer. But I think what he's basically suggesting is what we've kind of touched on here over the last few weeks is you you never really get a bad performance for him. He never deli- del- dips below an eight out of ten. He's quite regularly a nine or even a ten out of ten. Like he he was. He, I think he got man of the match on on Saturday, and I don't think you could you could argue with that. He was furious at the back, and then obviously he it was his run that won the free kick, and then he and then he a great, a great delivery from O'Reilly, um, absolutely perfect. Although I don't know why you give a unit as big as CCV. I don't know how you miss him, but Civic allows him just to run right past him and, and nod it into the net. Um, it's about as easy a goal as he could hope for over his first of the season. Um, but yeah, look, he's got that in his locker. He, he's not scored loads of goals, but he is a threat in the box. It, I think that comes down to more about our delivery into the box being, you know, I don't know. I'm sure we spend lots of time on set pieces, but, and they've, they've infinitely improved from years gone by where we I think all remember berating the fact that we would never score from a set piece. It was just, you know, a thing that Celtic, even in their best times under Rodgers and, and, and others, we just didn't score from set pieces. So we certainly added more of that to our game. Um, but yeah, he, look, he shrugs players off. He, again, he's probably not the quickest, but again, he reads the game so well. Um, his... He's passing between the lines is is really good for one of the centre backs. Um, although I don't know if we've got time to touch on this, but but Kobayashi was very impressive when he came on second half, and yeah, um, it, was nice. a, it was a decent it was a decent cameo. So we won't steal a thunder on that. But yeah, he, he he's pretty much good at all. I've got, I'm absolutely confused as to how he was deemed surplus the requirements at Spurs when you look how bad they are. But uh, their losses are gain, and um, I, I, look, I think. The danger is there's already speculation that Premier League teams will come in for him. But I think given how long he bounced around loans for, you'd like to think that having found a home that, you know, it's going as well as it is for him. Um, and he's not super young. I think he's 25 or 26. So he he hopefully realised that, you know, you know what he's got and, and hopefully stick around for at least the rest of the Ange project. I guess the concern is... Whenever the Anges decide to move on, we we maybe lose a few more of the players that, that he's sort of built the team around. So, but that's obviously a nice problem to have for another day. Hopefully, it's not for a long time. I think um, a lot of the bias against him uh, in the EPL in particular is due to the fact he's six foot zero. Uh, and I was going to say only, but I'm also six foot zero, so that do I put myself down? Uh, but he's probably got twenty five kilos on me and. Anthony, what is a ball player like with that low center of gravity, with that strength? Like, is he how much is he contributing ball on the ground as well? Yeah, well, I mean, the 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 no infamous meme of Ange pulling the face at Carter Vickers <laughs> at um, 
New Douglas Park going like, what was that sort of thing? So that is known, I mean, for the ages, and that will be the, yeah, that will just be, that you'll see that on the internet for the rest of time now. But um, I, most of the time he finds feet. And the one thing I've noticed since he's come back from the World Cup is that he is carrying the ball forwards more. Before the World Cup, he was more inclined just to lay it off, pass it side to side to the fullbacks. Mm-hmm. Since he's come back from the World Cup, he's galloping forwards and he's actually breaking the lines himself and causing overloads in certain situations. And I, and as Paul rightly pointed out, it was him that drew the foul for the for the free kick, so he scored his goal. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to you know. I, I I was on two weeks ago. I was talking how great Carter Vickers is. He is. He's just rock solid. I mean, you just you 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 would yeah. You, know, you saw what Celtic were like when he was injured and we were playing those games when he was missing. It was just if everyone just felt shakier. Joe Hart was shakier. Everything just wasn't quite as solid. So you know, as long as he is there and he's fit and he's playing, then you put Carter Vickers plus one other, and you've got a solid backline, regardless of whether you're changing the fullbacks or not. And I think it's probably right to now talk about Starfield. Apparently, he felt something in the warm up. Uh, for the mm-hmm. game on Saturday, he got a rub down and played the first half, and then I think they just took the precaution and say we're two 0 up. Put put um, Koyabashi in, and I think he he played really well. Didn't put a foot wrong. To be fair, he wasn't under immense pressure because they were only really playing with Janelli up front. Um, but it, the one thing I did notice, and this will talk to you, Sean, is that when he got the ball on his left foot, it all just looked very seamless. It was like, yeah, pass the ball out. It was, you know, there was none of this cumbersome take a touch, get it under control sort of thing that, that Starfield sometimes does. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it'll be interesting in the summer, and I think this will be a discussion that we'll have in the off season is, you know, who's fighting for that that second defender's position because if CCV's fit and he's there, he's starting. So it's like, well, who's who's going to duke it out for that second spot? So I think that'll be interesting and that's something to look forward to in a, in a, a good way. Um, but, you know, you're just hoping that we keep those three centre-halves available for next season because you want to kind of build on things. We want to do something in Europe. We need, you need a solid backline. You need understanding. Um, so you really don't want to lose one of those three players this summer if he can help it. Unless it's a stupid bid. If somebody comes in and gives you funny money, then you take it and all right, you go, yep, all right, we'll spend that money and we'll get someone else. But realistically, if we want to really give ourselves any every opportunity to do well next year uh, in Europe, we need to keep those three centre halves fit and available. Who's who's number well, I, I'm probably projecting too far ahead for what is the weekend review, but we do need to think about who the fourth player is, since it's less obvious now that Jens is gone. Um I guess at the moment it's Welsh. It's Welsh. Forgetting it's, someone. At the moment, yeah, it's mm. Welsh. I mean, whether Welsh moves on in the summer and we, we bring in someone else or we look at one of the younger players, a low or a Dane Murray, something like that, possibly. Um, but interesting you should mention um your, your man, you just mentioned him, <laughs> mental bike. Um, Jens. What? Jens, Jens, sorry, yeah, he's cutting up for Schalke pack by all accounts. Like he, they, they've gone on some massive run. Like they've had a great run of results since he started playing for them. They're absolutely raving about him. So, so you know, maybe we did miss a trick there, but I guess ah, he, to he our did that. <laughs> did that for us in our first half a dozen games as well and then he disappeared so i'm, I'm not gonna uh you know say that we missed out on that one unless he keeps going with it um on the, the starfield injury as well it wasn't just that so it wasn't precautionary and it, what it actually or so what i said was it wasn't just precautionary it was because they could also tell he wasn't moving well uh so it was like apparently well, allegedly noticeable uh, but with a whole week to go until the Hibs game, they might give my a chance to recover. But uh, otherwise, I'd be expecting, if there's anything lingering, a home game against Hibs is probably, and then an international break after that. Because that way, Starfield won't be going off an international duty if he's out injured. Uh, so I could see Kobe Ashe being getting a start uh, against Hibs for that. I was impressed, though, with his composure. Paul, did you like the look of him? I did. I like the look of him last time we saw him um, and, and those times when he has played. But last, I think it was quite some time ago he played his first game and he looked pretty, you know, he looked really quite comfortable. Um, 
But even more so this time, and as Anthony says, it's fair enough. There wasn't we weren't under a massive amount of pressure. What I did like is he read the game very well. We stepped, he stepped in and made interceptions. He's I don't imagine he's he's a like for like replacement for Starfelt. Starfelt's uh, a classic stopper. He's blood and thunder, and he's he's puts his body on the line all over the place. Kobayashi looks much more like a cultured, almost an old-fashioned sweeper style of of centre back, where he, he sort of reads the game and steps up and intercepts, and and he's not gonna. I don't think you're gonna see him lunging into too many challenges, but he looked very comfortable on the ball. His passing was good. Um, he was composed, even when he came under a little bit of pressure. He would just he just that's a couple of times just step past players where you know you think well, you know it's a cup tie. Yes, we're two 0 up, but you'd think oh a bit of pressure he might he might sort of get a bit flustered. He just waltz past players and strolled it, strolled it at the midfield and passed that. I honestly he could have been playing in slippers and a cigar. It was that comfortable for him back there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think there's lots to be optimistic about with him. It's very early days. Um, you know, time will tell. Uh, I think Starfelt still very much got the jersey, but he's a, he looks another you know, great bit of business and, and and I'm optimistic for where that might go over the over the next six to twelve months. And look, he was uh he's another one that's been linked with her move away through our uh, unofficial agent, uh Fabrizio Romano mentioning it. So every time he links someone away, they're gone within six months. So I'd say Star you looking... Starfelt, you mean yeah. Yeah, sorry, Starfelt, yeah. Yeah, yeah not Kobayashi. Um so Starfelt, yeah. So I could see him being away. Uh on the other subjects, oh, we, we kind of talked. Well, I'll just bring up Mahesh's comment actually before we move on. Jens played poorly in Champions League, and I think that was he played every Champions League game, and so that might have been what broke him. Uh, being up against uh, Real Madrid and the likes, never really recovered from that, and they won't necessarily be doing that anytime soon for the likes of Schalke. Uh, Going yourselves got a comment earlier. Uh, Hatati is one of the best players in Scotland, and I think they are preparing Awata if we lose Hatati in the summer. Hatati uh, was two magnificent saves away from getting a double at the weekend, and the narrative of the game very much changes at that point. So we talked about Kyogo and his twenty-six goals. We talked about Carter Vickers and his just obvious class and how he's just better than anyone else in Scotland. But um, apart from a dip in form at one point. What's the shout for Hitati for his season as a player of the year? Anthony? I, I, yeah, I, I, I think he's in the mix. Um, this is hard. I mean, it's how you, it's how you judge, what do you, what do you judge it on? Like you judge it on just goals, assists, like actual performances. I mean, you know, Cal McGregor's up there as well. Mr. Consistent. Carter Vickers is consistent. And then you've got the likes of Kogo who, we should theoretically end close to on nearly 40 goals if you know everything goes according to plan for the rest of the season. So, yeah, stiff competition, but it's probably a Celtic player. <laughs> that, that, much, that much I know. Um, I had a tatty to be my player of the year at the start of the season. I thought he was around with the one I maybe said this in one of the previous podcasts, but um, definitely could see it. And I don't know, he's another one that started adding goals to his game as well. And you're absolutely right. Um, uh, the the your goalie pulled a pulled an excellent save in the first sixty seconds because that was quite that was going at a rate of knots that just stung the old palms of the hands, and then he was in again. He, he could maybe have scored again a bit later on. So, yeah, I def, definitely. But I don't think I think we shouldn't really gloss over the fact that this this week was a potential banana skin for Celtic playing Hearts twice, the third in the league, playing them twice. Charlie Nicholas had them as the biggest contest for us going for a treble and we've swept them aside 3-1 and 3-0 and really quite comfortably really I mean all right we were 1-0 down for 20 odd minutes at home but apart from that it it was pretty plain sailing so I mean John Hartson made a comment saying that you know is the league strong enough if that's the third best team in Scotland and we've scalped them twice in three days and you know big John comes away with some big statements but you know has he has he got a point We've got two championship teams that are going to end up in the semi-final of the Scottish Cup. So what does that say to your Aberdeens, Hibs, Hearts, the rest of the teams in the Premiership? I mean, where are they? Why are they not in the semi-final? So so yeah, the the final, the last quarter final, I was going to say final quarter final, that's a weird way to say it. Uh, The the fourth quarter final will be played tonight. Thanks to the TV, it's spread over four days, which is interesting. You guys can comment on that if you feel uh, how you feel about it. I think it's just annoying for people in Australia when you have more night games because that becomes morning games for us. 
yeah, Falkirker Air will be joining the cup draw tonight. Falkirker League One team. Uh, their manager has got manager of the month the last two months for that particular division, so they're not any mugs. And Air were challenging earlier in the season for promotion, but they have dropped off recently, so also not too bad. Uh, but Kelly Thistle, who got into the fifth round on a bye, on a default because of Queen's Park's uh, expulsion or in the semis, and Sevco or the other team. So I'm going to say, who do we want? But what I really mean by that is, do we want Sevco at this stage or do we want uh, a lower league team in the semi-final? Because I'm pretty sure that via play are going to be freezing at least one of those balls before the draw uh, and getting instructions to Rod Stewart or whoever it is uh, to try and get a, a Celtic Sevco Cup final. Paul, what do you want? Well, let's be honest, it's not going to be Rod Stewart, is it? He's never going to get invited back after that time. Which was well, he's in, per- he's, he's in Perth at the moment anyway, so it'd be, it'd be, it'd be, you have to teleport him back to Scotland for the he'd draw. Have, so. Yeah, he'd have a hard job. Um, sorry, I just interrupt on Rod Stewart. Apparently he was posting updates about the Celtic game while he was performing on stage in Perth. Brilliant. He was like, My dad, the, my the dad was there and the he can confirm that that definitely happened. Yeah, sounds, about, <laughs> sounds about right for Rod. Um Look, uh, I think I said this um, previous rounds. Um, I couldn't care less who we got. I think it's important to note, based on what's uh, coming out of um, feeds out of Twitter, that um, more importantly, the other lot want us in the semi-final because that means they won't have to deal with losing to us for a treble in the final. So that kind of tells you where we've got them at the moment. We've absolutely broken them over the last few weeks. Um, and I, look, I couldn't care less whether we beat them in the semi-final or we beat them in the final or that they managed to collapse and, and they're out in the semis and we've got a, a free pass. To be honest, um, if we play like we've been playing the last few weeks, especially like we did on Saturday, doesn't matter who we come up against, whether it's them or, or a team from one or two leagues below, we shouldn't be losing to anyone in the in the current form. Um, the stats that we've, we've, picked, you know, we've pulled out in terms of the amount of wins, um, it's relentless. And I can't, you know, I I think I took a bit of heat from from some of this panel, including Tommy, who's not on tonight, for being a bit too almost cocksure in terms of where we're going with the the league. You know, if we play where we play, we should be taking everything home. Yeah, and look, it seems like the only thing, with no disrespect, but to say there's three lower league teams in there and then there's Sevco, the only thing preventing that Celtic-Sevco final at the moment is the luck of the draw, right? Anthony, what do you want? Oh, I want to beat them in the final. I want I want to, you know, I want to win a treble with them there, standing there. Michael Beale making excuses for himself after another loss in a cup final. So I definitely want them in the final. The fact that Twitter's awash with, oh, well, we're playing in the semis because I can't stand seeing them win the final. That's where they're at at the moment. They're, they're having a harsh realisation. They, they built it up bigger than Ben Hull the last few weeks. Now they're starting to realise, oh, hang on a minute. We, you know, they played Wraith Rovers the other night, and what was it? It was a, a, a set piece, an own goal, and a late one. And that's yeah. against Wraith Rovers. They're just they're scraping by. They're just they're, they're big pretenders. So, not nah, big stage, cup final, gub them. Um, but, yeah, I, I, as Paul says, I, I don't really, really care. But, you know, if that was the, if that was the, the narrative and we won our treble and we, we beat them twice in two cup finals... That would just be magnificent. Well, yeah, well, I think we can all agree that would be perfect. I guess I was being a bit, a bit more flippant, saying we'll beat whoever we come up against in current form. Oh, I agree. I yeah, agree yeah. Well. If, if I agree with you, Anthony, if we could p- p- perfectly pitch it, beating them five nil to win the treble, something like that, that would that would go down nicely. I wouldn't argue with that. So, so I'm going to on my birthday list for. Uh, your birthday list. I'm going to make a case for wanting them in the semis, okay? And the reason I say that is because I want their season to be over on the 30th of April if we beat them in the semis. And then they just have to spend the next five weeks watching us celebrate as we proceed towards the league title and the cup final on the 3rd of June. I just want them to spend five weeks suffering, watching us celebrate. Because if we... Like they'll do the thing where if they've got the cup final, they'll they, they'll have the whole media spin. But if they're out the cup and we're just pro and that process, Sean, that's even better because you see them getting their hopes up, and the then they get dashed. Them. And it's a hope it kills them every time. So I, I know where you're coming from, but at the same time, like I love the fact that they think that you know that 
build up, build up, build it up. And then, yeah, it all just comes crashing down. And Twitter is just a wonderful place to be for about seven days afterwards. So, um, but we'll, we'll see. Time will tell. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what we'll see what happens. But my money is probably on Celtic Rangers meeting in the final because I think the broadcasters will probably definitely be be, be wanting that to be the uh, the outcome. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. Ah, yeah. It's what's the odds? I can't remember now. This this chances of it's a one in four, something like that. I can't one in three, but yeah, it's probably going to happen. Uh, going yourself, I'd prefer them in the semis. The Masons won't allow Celtic and Rangers in the semi when they pull the drop. Would be right. Yeah, it's easy enough. You just put the ball in the freezer. The person that's putting their hand in can feel what the cold one is and just be selective. It's how we ended up with Hearts away in the quarters. Uh, Mahesh is actually going against what you guys are saying and saying that uh, Rangers have actually quote-unquote Rangers, have actually got better. Uh, just over two in net XG uh, for Celtic and Rangers just over 1.5 per game. So close enough for variance in VAR to have an impact implying in a one-off game. So he's uh, a little more rational, try to be more rational and statistic about it and saying we should be wary of a one-off game against him in the Cup uh, whenever that takes place, which is fair. Uh, now, as this is the weekend review, uh, we... There wasn't too many, there wasn't any league games, but there is something to talk about. I'd quite like to finish. I've got a treat for the end, and Jared's probably going to kill me for this. But I've uh, ripped that Jota on the Wing song to play us out at the end, uh, rather than our usual tune. Sorry, Jared. Uh, apologies in advance. Uh, I figured if we're infringing copyright, we might as well do it at the end when you can cut it off. Uh, so before we get to that, I just want to get you guys' takes on what is quite a big story uh, over in the Northern Hemisphere, which is this Gary Lineker shenanigans uh, around about match of the day. So we don't really get match of the day here, but it's been quite an interesting uh, story to watch develop with Gary Lineker doing his tweet, BBC doing their thing, and then pretty much everyone coming out in support of Gary Lineker. The only way it impacts me so far is that the people who upload the BBC podcast uh, onto wherever they upload it to are pr- presumably on strike as well because there's not been a BBC podcast released since the, the whole thing kicked off. Uh, so, Paul, Gary Lineker, is he uh, the people's hero or is this just all a load of nonsense? Ah, uh, he's a people's hero, isn't he? Like, is it? it's about time somebody... St- like, I know we're not supposed to get too political on here, but the UK government is an absolute disgrace. They've managed to import the worst policies that Australia's ever come up with in terms of the Stop the Boat campaign. Australia's finally actually getting rid of it, and that Tory government have decided they're going to try and import it. It's absolutely scandalous. And to be honest, in terms of suggesting that it's it's not... We can get into the nitty-gritty of is he allowed to be impartial or not because he's a sports presenter and not a news that, presenter. That's more what I was pushing at. Let's not comment well, too much that, on the Tory that, government. That, just was well, no, I, I, no, let's be honest. And I think the thing is, it, you take impartiality out of it because it's basic human rights. You know, where does it... And, and I've seen some some tweets from, from Craig Foster down here and, you know, he's he's massively on the support of, of, of human rights. And I think he's absolutely right. It's like there's some certain things that don't, you're not impartial on or not. They're just common decency or not so first things first Lineker's absolutely spot on the other thing is he's it's not to me it's not a thing that you need to be impartial on or not it's it's either you're you're on the side of decency or you're not and he is uh the fact that he's had the amount of support come out in his favor proves that um he's i don't know if anyone else is across this given how um recent it happened he's back he's he's they've come to an agreement and he's going to be back um he it, there's no climb down as far as I can gather. The BBC have cobbled together some sort of uh, planned review of social media rules for anyone that's linked to them, whether they're um, a contractor and a freelancer, as Lineker is, or a permanent member of staff. Um, but essentially, the BBC have made an absolute foul up here. They've been forced into an embarrassing climb down. By all accounts, it was an absolute shambles. Match of the day, no music, no presenter, no commentary. Finished in twenty minutes. It's it's a you know it's a classic show that any of us who have ever spent any time in the UK would remember being a key part of Saturday night. If you you know if you're going to be staying in, you're watching the football highlights and all of that comes with the the punditry and the discussions and, and all of that. So they've massively shot themselves in the foot. Um, and you know I I'm delighted that. Once again, football's holding politicians to account. We had Rashford um, previously um, making the government 
do U-turns and now we've got Lineker putting them under the spotlight. So yeah, um, got on my soapbox a little bit about that, but I, I, look, I think he's absolutely right and the climb down shows it. Anthony, um, is it, um, yeah, in terms of match of day, it's probably just the work experience kid chucking some stuff together on Adobe Suite was what they came out with. Uh, but you can actually see how this somewhat relates to our kind of contentious issues that we have with the Green Brigade and whether uh, football should be getting involved in areas outside of the sporting realm. Uh, should football be more used as a force for positive change in society? Just quickly, Anthony, because we are running out of time. Which well, yeah, no, I, I, to take your point, yes, uh, broadly, yes, I agree. I think it can be a force for good. Um, just to back to Paul's point above, I agree with absolutely everything Paul just said there. And the one thing I would say is if Gary Lineker had come out and tweeted support for the UK government's policy on stopping the boats, do you think the head of the BBC would have been hauling him into his office and standing him down? I no. think not. So that says all you need to know. This the head of the BBC given Boris Johnson eight hundred thousand dollar loan and stuff like that. So I think it's it's all resolved itself. The BBC have come out looking much the worse for it. Um, but yeah, I think football can be a force for good. Um, you know, there's always talk of um, sports washing and things like that with you know the Saudis buying football teams and and you know the horrible human rights issues and the Qatar World Cup and things like that. But I think deep down, you know, most people can sort of agree that, you know, we can get behind positive projects. And I think this was a good outcome in this instance. So hopefully more mm-hmm. to come. So it's not even on the run sheet, but just when you mentioned that, <clears throat> I remember uh, something that's happened in the last week, and I'm just going to bring it up without any discussion, was that down here in Australia and New Zealand, the the women's federations or the women's, I, I'm not sure which level have came out, and said to FIFA, look, we are not, because we're having the World Cup here in a couple of months. And they came out and said, we are not happy that you're accepting Saudi tourist sponsorship for this tournament. Uh, so that's might actually be a bit of a tricky issue that's coming up down the line. When you mentioned sports washing there, it reminded me of that. So because it's getting to the end, I'm not going to open up conversation on that one. Just something to highlight uh, for anyone that's in a different hemisphere, might not be aware of that issue that's about to come to a head. So let's finish up with some positivity. And I don't know if anyone's seen it uh, recently, but there was a pic- picture came out this week of Postacoglu way back in his young day, looking a lot like one of our Portuguese winger, uh, Jota. Did either of you seen the picture with the moustache and the, the the mullet kind of perm going on? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I miss this. Yeah, he's definitely. Um, I think Jot is emulating the uh, the boss at the moment because uh, he's definitely got the mullet and the the mullet looking rather resplendent at the moment. So yeah, yeah. So so the question is: Is Jota's recent resurgence in form, the last two or three games, down to the viral song that's going around TikTok and Twitter at the moment? Paul, is that is that the reason? I would doubt it, but. <laughs> But uh, there's been some cr- good creativity from from uh, various parties. You know, the, the, first, the original covers uh, a pretty a pretty awesome effort, um, uh, and then I, I noticed obviously there's been a bit of a bandwagon jumping by um, Big Bems is involved, and, and then a few others chipping in. So yeah, they've managed to they've managed to put something pretty good together. And I reckon if they released it, they, uh, the Celtic support would be all over it. So yeah. they're, they're talking about it apparently. What's her name? Ellie something. Dixon is it? Ellie is it Ellie Dixon. That's right, Ellie Dixon. Yeah, they're yeah. talking about how they can monetize this at the moment. Anthony, is that a, is that a tune? You jamming on it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, the you know I was we're saying in the group chat like you know we have the talented supporters because you know the the other side of Glasgow can't even get a tifo right. So you know we we we're talking about record deals. So. Um, so yeah, so no, definitely. So you know, I, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm enjoying just you know, it's just the buzz around this team at the moment. They're a joy to watch, and you know, we are we're just we're reveling in it. We're having a great time, and long may it continue. Yeah, and um, yeah, basically, yeah. I, I don't know how they keep coming up with these songs, but they have. So um, I'll just let us say our goodbyes, and then I'll finish out by playing the song. Apologies if I'm infringing on any copyright. I hope not, uh, and hopefully it's just promoting what is a a really good and enjoyable song and hopefully everyone enjoys listening to it here as well. So uh, that's it for us this week. Please listen to our shows uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday and the Celtic game this weekend is Saturday, 10pm uh, for us against Hibs. Is that right? I think so, yes. It's definitely yeah. against Hibs, but I think it's 10 o'clock. Yeah. 
Yeah. So enjoy the show. Uh, enjoy the shows on Tuesday and Wednesday, and we'll speak to you next week. And hopefully, we're reviewing a twenty seventh league win of the season. Hail, 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 hail. hail.